as well for our Marines. Hoorah! It's good to see each and every one of you uh, this morning. We've been talking about family here for the last several weeks, and uh, today uh, I want to talk about choices, how some of our choices that we make, sometimes choices that we don't make, things that we ignore affect our relationships that we've been dealing with over the last several weeks, whether it's in marriage, whether it's uh, in parenting, whether it's in your job or whatever it is, uh, we want to talk about that. So uh, before I get started, would you pray with me and pray for me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you open our hearts and mind as, minds as we join you this morning, Father, and the message that you have for each and every one of us and for us collectively as the body of Christ. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing unto your sight. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Before we get started, I have a very short video that I want you guys to watch. We may play it twice. It's pretty quick. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B, B. B. Play it one more time. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B, B. 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 So we make choices every day. Often we make them every hour or every moment of the day. We decide when we're going to go to bed. Well, some of us older folks may decide that we go to sleep before we go to bed. We just may fall asleep, and that's not a choice we make sometimes. We choose when we're going to get up. We choose some days if we're going to get up. We choose what to wear, what to eat, how often to eat. We choose our friends. We choose when to speak which is an Achilles heel for most husbands, but we choose when to speak. We choose when to listen, and we don't make this choice often enough. We choose what sports teams we follow. As long as they're winning, we continue to choose them. We choose our mates. And kiddos, I'm sorry, you can't choose your parents, but we can choose our mates. We choose, choose the church we attend, and we choose when we will attend it. We choose when we will give to the church and we choose when we will parent and we choose how we will parent. We choose how fast we drive. We choose whether that light is yellow or red. If we think we can make it through it, we choose to go through it. We choose when we change lanes on the freeway. We choose when we yell at the person that's changed the lanes in front of you, regardless of whether we think he's armed or not. We choose how we speak. You know, we choose to be vindictive, we choose to be merciful, we choose to be angry, yet we choose to forgive. We choose, we make choices about things that we have absolutely no control over. In fact, sometimes we make our choices based on what we think may happen, and then when it doesn't happen, we are stuck with a real silly choice sometimes. You see, God gives us free will to choose so often and in so many different ways. And thank goodness there are some things he doesn't give us a choice about. 
Thank goodness we breathe automatically. Our heart works on automatic pilot. We blink when we need to blink. So how do we choose? Do we choose based on emotions? Do we choose because somebody else said this is what we should do and what we should choose? Do we have information when we choose? And then when that information turns out to be wrong, do we have the integrity to admit we are wrong or do we choose to blame somebody else? Do we pray before we choose? And how often do we choose not to choose at all? How often do we just throw our arms up and say whatever? Priorities and idols can be a constant struggle. Though we call Jesus our Savior and Lord, we tend to let things of this world assume an extraordinary level of importance that often narrows our focus on him. Sometimes we would rather skip church and we have very good reasons. It's raining outside. Or we have a better offer for that morning. Scripture is incredibly practical concerning the choices, and I think the scripture, even though it was written years ago, is so practical to to today. The psalmist poses a thought-provoking question in the 25th chapter of Psalm, beginning beginning in the 12th verse. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The fear of the Lord is simply to recognize God for who he is. He is holy. He is almighty. He is righteous. He is pure. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-wise. Most importantly, he is your friend. So why don't we seek the guidance of someone that has all this power, all this knowledge, and is our friend? When we regard God correctly, we get a clearer picture of ourselves. We are sinful, weak, frail, needy, self-centered, and prideful. When we recognize who God is and who we are, we should fall at his feet, seek forgiveness, and give him humble respect. Only when we show him this and who we are and what we think about him, then will he he help us choose his way. The psalm in the three preceding psalms in the three preceding chapters postures worship. David presents three postures of piety. In those chapters, he one point is lying down, he's standing, he's sitting, he's kneeling. In the 22nd Psalm, he's lying alone, falling flat on his face, saying, My God, hast thou forsaken me? In the 23rd Psalm, he's standing and he is walking, saying, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall lack in nothing. In the 24th Psalm, he is sitting in a chair, describing the character of a man asking, Who shall ascend onto the holy hill and hereafter be partaking of happiness? In the 25th Psalm, he is kneeling with his hands and voice raised to God, asking, what man is it that fears the Lord? The psalmist is showing the power of good choices. The choices we make reveal about who we are and the values we hold. It reveals how we feel 
and how we live in other relationships. It reveals the relationship in our marriages, in our parenting, in our serving, in our obedience. When we have a firm foundation in which we make decisions about how to manage life's challenges, our choices make our lives richer and more meaningful and more rewarding, and we actually feel like we're making the best of our lives. This is the power and the beauty of choices. We are inundated today with choices. Each day we have new choices. Many of those will determine the kind of life experience that we have the next day. You see, the psalmist faced the same kind of choices we faced. He reveals that walking in the blessings of God and receiving benefit from the gospel is not for pretenders, not for people that merely give lip service to I am a believer, but those who truly believe. God gave the nation of Israel, his chosen people, the power of choice. The choices they made had profound consequences to each of them, some good, some not so good. And here's one thing to think about. Although we have the power of choice, so often, in fact, rarely, are we free to choose the consequences of those choices. The power of choice has always been part of God's plan for mankind. In the garden, he allowed Adam and Eve the opportunity to choose. God himself placed both the tree of life, the tree of knowledge and good of evil in the garden. They would be blessed or cursed with the choices they made. Being blessed and being cursed from the choices we make have not changed since that day in the garden. As God's people... As God's people were about to enter into the promised land, Moses clearly set a choice for the people saying, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. We are blessed and we are stressed by the choices we make. The 25th Psalm, the psalmist reveals a list of petition to his God and a list of promises from God. God promised protection from his enemy, instruction for the sinners, guidance and direction for the meek. And then in the 12th verse, as I said before, what man is, it, is he that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he shall choose. If a person truly walks in fear of the Lord, God promises to teach him the way that he should choose. The truly blessed man needs the Lord's help to make the right choices. In Jeremiah 10, 23, we read, I know, O Lord, that man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. God promises to be with those souls that are right and that they will not lack to, want a heavy con to lack a heavenly connection. God sacrifices and sanctifies the heart and he enlightens the head we all wish that we could choose all our ways and that everything would be okay but what a mercy is it when god directs that choice and makes our free will and turns it into his good will if we make our, our will god's will will god will bestow upon us blessings god does not violate the free will that we have but he leaves way too much to our choices. 
Nevertheless, he instructs our will so that we have an obligation to choose what is pleasing in his sight. Again, a truly blessed person is one who chooses to lean and to follow at the feet of Christ and allow Christ to teach him how to choose. We must, be, we must all live with the choices we make. Salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ opens the door to many wonderful, eternal privileges. The benefits are increased or decreased by the choices we make. The Psalms encourage us to draw close to God. You know, I have limited knowledge about medical science and about aviation, but I can voice my opinion about so many things. It is my right still in this country, and it is my choice to give my opinion. Yet we must be careful. Many people are making choices or decisions by what has been said by other people or by what is trending or what is popular or whatever is politically correct, whatever that means today. All of which provide, all those things provide so often insufficient, sometimes incorrect information. The psalmist advises those who know the importance of decision-making to allow the Lord to teach them, lead them, and show them the right way. If we follow scripture, our soul will dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. We will be blessed or stressed by the choices we make and we will live with the choices we make. A life illustration, there's two young boys that are boiling eggs for, hard boiling eggs for Easter. The older brother turns to his younger brother and says, I'll give you a dollar if you'll let me crack three eggs over your head. And the younger brother says, no, because you won't give me the dollar. And he says, no, I, I promise I'll give you the dollar. In fact, you can tell mom. And if I don't give you the dollar for cracking three eggs over your head, then I'll be in trouble with mom. And so the younger brother has a choice to make. And he thinks for a second, he says, you promise? He says, I promise. I'll give you a dollar if I break three eggs over your head. The younger brother closes his eyes and says, okay, so the older brother breaks the first egg over his head, and as the egg is running down his cheeks and down his face, he breaks a second egg over his head, and more is running down his face. And a few seconds go by, and the younger brother says, I'm ready for the third egg. And the older brother replied, are you kidding? That would cost me a dollar. Some choices we make are good, some are not good. George Bonner polled adults asking, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? And the top response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And this is the most universal experience for humans is suffering. In fact, many people point to the problem of not believing in God because they believe that so much suffering and evil in the world is that God doesn't exist. If you're not going through a tough time, you will. Maybe you're coming out of a tough time. You know, Jesus said it wouldn't be easy and his followers would be persecuted. Pain is part of living in this sinful world. Questions like if, there was, if God is a God of love, why does he watch us suffer? Why does God take our loved ones before we are ready for them to go? These questions cannot be packed really into a sermon. These are intensely emotional matters that can often leave us 
and spiritual vertigo to where we can't tell what's up and down and what's sideways. But you know what? The Bible doesn't, it doesn't stay away from these questions. In fact, in the 10th Psalm, the first verse, we hear the psalmist, we hear David crying out, Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Another verse reads, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear me? Often we cry, why is this happening? Why is this happening now? Why is this happening for so long? God's mercy can be found in our problems. God is drawing us closer to him. He is building our character. He is challenging our, challenging our faith and our reliance on him. If you really ask why there are bad things, it doesn't take a whole lot to be able to figure it out. First of all, moral evil has been unleashed in this world. God created Adam and Eve in his image and after his likeness, and God said everything was good. God didn't create evil. Rather, he created the possibility of evil when he created humans and gave us free will. He placed in our heart and our head the ability to have free will and make voluntary choices, both good and bad. Even with the moral parameters and clear instructions, Adam and Eve made bad choices. By choosing to defy and disobey God's standards, ever since that day, we've been given that same opportunity to make choices. You see, what God values deeply is a, to have an intimate, obedient relationship with each of us. Relationships can be freely chosen. To be freely chosen, then they must have the possibility of being rejected. And where there's a possibility of rejection in a relationship, there's a possibility of pain and suffering. We suffer because of bad choices we make, because of choices we make. Don't play the blame game. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't blame it on some other circumstances. There are choices we make. When sinful people make decisions, God allows them to play out. We need to rely on him. And again, remember, he has not abandoned us regardless of the decision we make. The other thing is the earth is an environment of disease and death. Before Adam and Eve rebelled, there was no earthquakes, hurricanes, disease. But they sinned and creation was cursed. Genesis 3.17 reads, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Another problem is Satan influences people to do evil. Many things are a direct result of the devil's destructive design. But again, in Scripture, in the 8th chapter of John, the 44th verse, Jesus tells us about the devil. He was a murderer in the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. Yet God sovereignly weaves his way and his will through suffering. God is good, even when we make bad choices and suffer. But God's reason is beyond our capacity to understand. In Isaiah 55, 9, we read, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. God is working all things for his glory and ultimately for the good of mankind. 
and for the good of those who live for his purpose. Whenever we are tempted or we make choices that don't work out, we cry, why me, Lord? If our faith was deep, our trust in him was truly a deep trust, then why wouldn't we say when bad things happen, God, why not me? There are some practical benefits to hard times, or I guess a better way to put it, what God does with bad choices. We make bad choices, we have hard times, and God stretches us. If we always got what we wanted, and we believed in we would have no problem, we'll stay in the same character, and we won't change. Yet when we hit a bump in the road and we're lost because we only depend upon ourselves, we should remember what the scripture says in James, count it all joy for his testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Hard times also equip us. It's an opportunity to realize that, that you're not alone as God directs and comforts us. The Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, he is the God of all comfort. Also, hard times teach us. Again, we're not alone. He uses these times to remind us that he is the only way to get through these trying times. In Hebrews, we read, he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. The discipline for a moment may be painful, and it may not be pleasant, and we may even think it's unfair. But what are we seeking? We are seeking his righteousness. Finally, tough times reach us. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our, pleasant, in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It, it, is megaphone, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He uses tough times to get our attention, to help eternal realities just come through. I think he's doing that today. Some choices turn into disasters, but through our faith in Jesus, we can recover. Listen to what Jesus says in the 13th, in 13th chapter of Luke, verses 3 and 5. He says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Here you hear the heart of Jesus. God longs for us to repent, quit living the way that we've been living. We think we deserve good things. We think God owes us an easy life. Yet Jesus reminds us that we are fallen individuals living in a fallen world. We should be amazed and thankful that we're given another day to make things right and to seek forgiveness. We can repent, as Jesus calls us to do. For the next few minutes, I'm going to read something. And I'd like for each of you just to bow your heads, close your eyes, crawl up in God's lap. Just relax. Listen to this story that a young man named John Harris wrote. It's called A Room. And I think it is so relevant to each and every one of us about choices we make. So I told Pastor Mark, I said, I just want this to be personal, to be very, very personal to each of us. In a place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in a room. There was no distinctive feature save for the one wall covered with a small index file. They were like the ones in libraries that list by author and subject in alphabetical order. But these files would stretch from floor to ceiling and seeming endlessly in their direction 
had different headings. As I drew near the wall of files, the first one to catch my attention was one that read, Girls I Have Liked. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on each one. And then without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its small files was a crude catalog system of my life. Here were written the actions of every moment, big and small, in very detail. My memory could not, could not match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me. I began randomly opening files, exploring their contents. Some brought joy and sweet memories, others a sense of shame and regret so intense I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching. A file named Friends was next to one named Friends I Have Betrayed. The titles range from mundane to outright weird, books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at. Some were almost hilarious in their exactness, things I have yelled at my brothers, others I could not laugh at, things I have done in anger, things I have muttered under my breath to my parents. I never ceased to be surprised by the contents. Often there were more cards than I expected, sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Could it be possible that I had time to write thousands and even millions of these cards? But each card, confir card confirmed the truth. Each was written in my own handwriting, each signed my, with my signature. When I pulled out the file songs I have listened to, I realized the file grew to contain their contents. The cards were packed tightly, and yet after two or three yards, I hadn't found the end of the file. I shut it, shame, not so much of the quality of music, but more about the vast amount of time I knew the file represented. And then I saw the file marked, lustful thoughts. I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the file out only an inch, not willing to test the size, and I drew out one card. I shuddered at the detailed content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke on me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see the size of this room. I have to destroy them. In an insane frenzy, I yanked the file out. Its size didn't matter now. I had to empty it and burn the cards. But as I took it at one end and began pounding it on the floor, I could not dislodge a single card. I began desperately and pulled out one card only to find it so strong as steel that I couldn't tear it. Defeated and utterly helpless, I returned the file to its slot. Leaning with my forehead against the wall, I let out a long, self-pitying sigh, and then I saw it. The title bore people I have shared the gospel with. The handle was brighter, brighter than those around it, newer, almost unused. I pulled the handle in a small box, not more than three inches fell into my hand. I could count the cards it contained on one hand. And then the tears began to come. I began to weep, sobbed so deeply that it hurt. the hurt started in my stomach and shook through me. I fell on my knees and I cried. I, I cried out of shame for the overwhelming shame of it all. The rows of fowls swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever see this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, 
please not him, not here. Oh, anyone but Jesus. I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response. And in moments I could bring to myself to look at his face, I saw sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every one? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with pity in his eyes, but this was a pity that did not anger me. I dropped my head and covered my face with my hands and began to cry again. He walked over and put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up and walked back to the wall of files. Starting at one end of the room, he took one file. He opened it, and one by one, he began to sign his name over mine on each card. No, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could say was no, no, as I pulled the card from him. His name shouldn't be written on these cards, but there it was, written in red, so rich, so dark, so alive. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written with his blood. He gently took the card back. He smiled a sad smile and began to sign the cards. I don't think I will ever understand how he did it so quickly, but in the next instant, it seemed I heard him close the last file and walk back to my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and said, It is finished. I stood out, he led me out of the room. There was no lock on the door. You see, there are more cards to be written. We all know that we will be held accountable at the end of our time. Lorena. So this week, as you go through this week and you make your choices, I'd like to suggest a couple of things. Pray often. Choose to be kind. Choose to be encouraging. To be forgiving. To be slow to anger. Slow to speak. Open to listen. And listen some more. Smile. Pay attention to what God is doing around you. Say thank you so often. Share what God shares with you. Choose to be happy, not vindictive. And remember to love the Lord with all your heart as he loves you. May we each celebrate an abundant life and spend time with him and share the joy of making Christ-like choices. Above all things, to get rid of the pride. So I suggest that you not leave here today the same as you entered today. For it's not what you heard today, but how you live tomorrow. Thank you.